Today, I am really privileged uh, to have the new headmaster of the day school. I got to know Palmer through uh, the search uh, committee uh, that, that took place uh, in finding replacement for Una Battles, who was uh, headmistress for 44 years. Can you believe it? And, you know, it takes, uh, it, it takes uh, a pretty good uh, a man or a woman to replace someone that has been in place for 44 years. I think Palmer has done it just beautifully. Karen, if you don't mind just to stand up and turn around and look at it. Right, now, this is not Palmer's uh, daughter. This, this is Palmer's wife, and her name is Karen, and it's great to have you here, Karen. Uh, Palmer Kennedy, why don't I let you introduce yourself, but, but I would like to start in prayer. Let us pray. Our dear Father, we uh, thank you for the gift of ministry, both lay and ordained. We thank you for the uh, gifts that you have given your servant, Palmer, uh, to lead uh, our uh, Advent Day School uh, into the future after these wonderful years under Unibattles. Uh, we pray that wherever he is right, you would encourage him. Where he's wrong, you'd stop him. Where he's weak, you would strengthen him, uh, that he may be uh, uh, the kind of leader uh, that is that things will unfold according to your purposes uh, for the day school. Uh, and we, we thank you for him and, and pray that you would bless him and Karen and his family uh, and bless the Advent Day School. And we pray it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, it was an aerial view of the Old Testament, right? This is a ground-level view of where education, church, and schools are after uh, some some personal stories for me. Uh, I intended to come in here this morning and share, I don't know any wisdom, but just a little bit of maybe something um, that everybody could take away and benefit themselves and others. My goal has shifted to just not embarrass myself today because um, I, am, um, I am sick. <laughs> uh, I tell people all the time that that's an attitude thing. You just, just, you just work through it and it's all about just, just make, just make it happen. I mean, that's that's part of my job. Is it's just it's it's not. I feel bad, um, and uh, and um, <clears throat> I have not shaken anybody's hand this morning. And if I do, go wash them, and just keep keep your distance. Um, so I appreciate you putting up with me today. And I believe um, I shared with Craig just a moment ago. I think it's a new germ pool. And what I mean by that is I'm new to Birmingham. I went years in Mobile without getting sick, and, and, and now it's like, bam, bam, um, and you want to get with the kids, um, I'm going to stay away from them too <laughs> for a little, just a little while. Uh, my wife suggested something last night, and I need a show of hands real quick. How many people were at the fall social last Friday night? Good, just a few of you, okay? Um, and at the fall social, afterwards, my wife more or less said, Palmer, was that true? And I said, everything I said was true. Almost no embellishment whatsoever. So I'm going to start with, this is, these are true stories. I've, we have just been exceptionally welcome to the Advent. Um, Birmingham is phenomenal. And I want to share with you some of those warm fuzzies that I shared last Friday night that occurred within the first week of school here. Um, warm fuzzy number one. Who are you? That's a kid, okay? That's a kid. <laughs> Who are you? One fuzzy number two. Can I help you find someplace? 
child response. No, thank you. I know where I'm going. Gotcha. Okay. I wasn't sure where he was going. I'm not sure I could have gotten him there, but he didn't need my help. I don't know whether he knew who I was or not, but he did not need my help. Third story. Warm fuzzy. Walking down the hall. I said, how you doing? The child says, I am great. A child says, who is that? <laughs> another child says, that's the headmaster. Then another child said, no, excuse me. Child said, that's our friend. Another child said, he's not a friend. He's our headmaster. <laughs> Verbatim. There was about four or five of them involved in this. And then, of course, the parents have given me an exceptionally warm welcome. Very first day, I'm honestly, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to look like I know what I'm doing. And so I'm there near the carpool line. And a parent says, excuse me, would you get out of the way? And then, okay, well, <clears throat> okay, I'll, I'll finish, finish it now. Excuse me, would you get out of the way? Oh, you're the headmaster. Yes, sir. Oh, no problem, no problem, no problem. Um, I could tell a lot more of those, but I'm telling you, it's about a thousandfold to those. And even those, in their own way, it tells you a lot about just what schools are. And I'm going to share a little bit about my personal walk today and how um, I think it's absolutely impossible to separate your vocation um, from, from what you're called to do from your purpose. And, and, and when you enter the field of education, um, it just gives you opportunities that, that I wish everybody had. Um, this is my family. Introduce my wife. My son is at Auburn University. He'll finish in December. Um, his goal is to start at Beeson School this upcoming January. And um, Laura Catherine... Um, he plans, Palmer plans on going into the ministry. Laura Catherine, a daughter, she is in graphic design at Auburn University. She is a junior. I have three sisters, one older brother. My mother still resides in Mobile. And yes, I lived in Mobile um, all my life, basically until about three months ago. I'm 52 years old, so yes, I broke my mother's heart. And um, we drove down yesterday morning, saw her, came back, and um, it was good to see her yesterday. And I have a very large extended family. Just a little bit of stuff. The most important thing I'd like to point out is this, because it deals with what we do as a church. It deals with what we do as a family, my hobbies, anything with my kids. Um, we're all very busy. If we are working parents, we're busy. If we're not working parents, we're busy. And it's being intentional. And a lot of what I want to share today is about having an intentional life. And it's being intentional. We happen to find it easier to go someplace and it may look like we're going someplace to see it. No, we're going someplace to experience it together. And even if it's the park, to throw frisbee or with a dog, you're going someplace to experience it together. That's a little bit about um, my professional background. And this is my wife, Karen. Um, you can hear a little bit about what we would call a... Um, uh, J.H. Ranch experience. Some of you may be familiar with that, that, that camp. And these are my two children. All right. I'm not saying that for the shock value. I had a pastor early on that literally, um, and by the way, this is, this is hardcore for me. If you pro I probably have let about 10 hell words go in my life, okay? Um, but he scared the hell out of me. Um, 
um, I think he scared the hell out of everybody. Um, I was probably six years old, maybe five, and I came to know Jesus because I did not want to go where he was talking about. <laughs> period. I mean, period. And a lot of you in this room may or may not have had that experience. I had the experience. And so depending on how you define when one finally establishes that relationship with God, I am telling you that some may say that that is shallow and superficial. When I was five or six, it was not shallow and it was not superficial. It was powerful and, and, and I wasn't going there. And then as I grew up, like a lot of us, it wasn't so much not wanting to go someplace. It was wanting to go someplace. And so... I would say my journey is not much different than anybody else's journey or most people's journey. You hit the teen years, you begin to make up a little bit of decision, a lot of decisions for yourself. And right here when it talks about um, my early teen years made this relatively easy, I could not have had a more fortunate childhood. I could not have been born into a more loving and supportive family. And, and what I meant by this didn't make me go to church. Um, my mom... My dad never made me go to church, um, even though, okay, when I got there early on, I would have the hell scared out of me. Um, all they would say is real simple. Son, you're going to church today. I don't think I'm going to go today. Okay, just remember, you're not doing homework. You're not playing. You're not watching TV. You're not doing anything. Um, you're going to have a lot of good time to think. I think that's a good move for you, son. You can sit in the room and you can think all day. We just don't have enough time to think. A few minutes later, I'd be getting in the car with them, going to church. <laughs> and I don't know if, you know, and it was a very effective, very effective. I don't know if I missed much church, if any, when I was younger. Because um, I don't know if they ever had to follow through. It was very effective. Um, you go up, you grow up, you go through some things. And, and no, don't get worried. You're not going to hear a bunch of football stories. But I, I was saved through a, an experience of, yes, having the hell scared out of me, then learning that Jesus is my best friend through youth groups and through youth camps. And, and I believe that. And I believe if none of this other stuff would have happened, that, that, that God loved me and God accepted my sincerity. But what I refer to as an Aldersgate experience, and, and I am a traditionally um, 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 Wesleyan, and um, so John Wesley's Aldersgate experience when his heart was gently warned, um, Mine was not just gently warmed, mine blew up. And um, I'm, I'm going to try to keep this brief. Jackson, Mississippi, probably when I was in seventh grade, my, my brother, excellent athlete, um, and um, he went and blocked a punt in a football game, got kicked in the throat, and they had to do a tracheotomy on the field. Almost died. Almost died. Freaked everybody out. At that point, mom and dad said, you're not playing football. I kind of got that. All of a sudden, my junior year rolls around. Coach visits the house. It's about five days before the first game. And coach comes over and says, hey, would you please let Palmer play? And I remember not supposed to hear the conversation, mom and dad in the living room. Dad saying, come on, honey. Um, it's, it can be okay. And mom's like, no, no. Well, I'm not going to any ball games." And actually, my mom didn't go to the first couple of ballgames. Um, but bottom line is, about four days before the first ball game that season, I'm a junior in high school. Coach taught me to come in out. I knew zip. I knew how to play backyard ball. I knew zip. Um, first time I touched the football, touchdown. Second time I touched the football, touchdown. 
this is easy. This is easy. Because here's all they did was Palmer. Stand over there. We're going to throw you the ball and just run. I was pretty fast, okay? Um, but before the ball game, one of the other players said, Hey, Palmer, will you pray? Pray for us. Will you lead? No, will you lead the prayer? I didn't know. I'd never been on a football team. You're supposed to say the Lord's Prayer real fast and then go out and play. So I started praying. And I did not have a clue where that prayer came from. It was, it was great. I mean, it wasn't let us win and let us kill somebody. It was great. And I had never done that publicly before. And everybody just kind of, kind of all excited. And everybody was like, wow, we didn't say the Lord's Prayer. I think it's the first time it's, that team ever didn't say the Lord's Prayer. I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do. So that, that setup by that player, I can't describe to you the feeling when 40 to 50 young old boys, young men all felt something and I had the opportunity to do that. And I had nothing to do with it. I did not know that I was going to be asked to do that. I did not know I was just supposed to lead the Lord's Prayer. I didn't know any of that. And that was a game changer for me. Oh, and then the touchdown stuff and the win the game stuff. And then the next week they asked me to do the same thing again. And almost the same thing happens again. And then the third week you finally begin to understand, you know, this football stuff is getting pretty easy. But, but if you hadn't played a lot, you forget that there's like face masks on helmets. And if you put your hand between the face mask, you can, like, crush all your fingers. That happened to me. <laughs> I mean, it hurt. <laughs> it's like, oh, why didn't anybody tell me? Don't do that. So the rest of that season, I sat out. Couldn't play. I mean, my fingers were just a wreck. I'm done. So everybody, a lot of people, including me, my father, even my mother's come along. Well, maybe this is something our son can do well. So the next season rolls along. First game. Bunch of passes, a few runs, touchdown here, touchdown there. Second game, touchdown here, touchdown there. Third game, start running the ball, doing things, rip my knee to shreds. I mean to shreds. Um, three of the four, gone. That was the first significant faith test. In that period of time in my life, I thought everything was getting mapped out. I thought everything was just going to go a certain way. And it changed literally just like that. And at the time, it was extremely disappointing, but God is amazing. He did something with me that I still do not comprehend. It did not bother me as much as it bothered everybody else. My mom, oh, she got the opportunity to tell my dad, told you so. And it was not, it was, it was ugly. It was ugly. I mean, in the emergency room, right before surgery, recovery. I mean, every penny, every second of that was ugly. And they, they were hurt because they saw me hurting. But I don't know why, but I was actually okay. And, and, and to finish that part of the story, God did amazing things. That particular year, I was so fortunate. Um, I ended up winning state in the 200 meters. Um, wasn't quite fast enough to run. And I ran at South at a college I was planning on going to, maybe because of my hurt knee, maybe not, certainly not football. So I went to South Alabama and ran and had a great four-year experience. I re-met my wife, Karen, there, reconnected with the Mobile community and stayed in touch. My plans were something different. 
And I am certainly not in any way implying that God made that happen. I am implying that God provided these opportunities, and with the Holy Spirit's prompting, I stepped in. And it did amazing things, I think, for some other people. I know it did amazing things for me, and it gave me an opportunity to continue to try to do His work in what I do. Early on in um, Stephen Ministry, our school, St. Paul's Episcopal School, we offered Stephen Ministry. In a nutshell, all I'd like to share about that is this is, a, this is a big moment for me. Reading that book and hearing Christ tell me through that book, you owe people the truth. If you love them, and even people you don't like, you got to love them. You owe them the truth. You owe kids the truth. You owe parents the truth. They need to hear what you think. That is what you're supposed to do. It is not your job to make parents happy. It is not of your kids. It is not your job to always make everything okay. It is your job to try to help people see it's going to be okay. And that book and that class did miracles for me. Our marriage, we were very fortunate. We made some wise choices with friends in the church we plugged into. Had we not, had we not, I don't know if, if we would have the marriage and the family we have today. And that's why I would encourage this church and every church, those youth groups and those young married couple classes are perhaps, in my opinion, the most important thing that a church can do. The foundation is what everything else is built upon. Our children, probably because of all the lessons that Karen was in education and well. She's an accountant by trade, but she's worked in a school the last 17, 19 years. I should know the number just like that. How many? 19. Okay. I don't. It's all time flies when you're having fun. But anyway, um, because we weren't friends with our kids, we now have two new best friends just about to leave college. And they still listen to us. They still respect us. But because of their faith element, and faith levels a playing field, it doesn't matter if you're four years old and you've had the hell scared out of you, or if you're 40, your faith in God's eyes, as I see it, levels the playing field. And when that playing field is yet leveled and you have respect, we have two new best friends. But it's because we practice things that we have been taught at an early age. And we made wise choices in Sunday school classes early in our marriage. Vision worthy of sacrifice. Um, I attended in Mobile a large church, Christ United Methodist. And, um, and I got a call from the pastor, Jeff Spiller, one day. And Jeff said, Palmer, can we talk? And I said, I mean, what am I going to say? Nope. Um, I said, yes, sir, what, what you need? He said, well, you know, there's been some talk around. We're about to run a six to nine million dollar campaign and we want to build a Christ Center. And we need to do some things. And I said, that sounds great. He said, can I count on you to be a part of that process? And I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, you're going to be the campaign manager. <laughs> I said, I-, I swear, I swear. Jeff, um, because I had a little bit of relationship with him, but I said, are you sure you, you don't have, somebody hadn't given you some advice and you don't have the wrong person? I've never been a part of a campaign. We're not, we're, not me, No. He said, no, I think that you're the person. 
I did not think I was a person. We raised about $6.5, million, the Christ Center got built. I don't think I had anything to do with it. I think that Jeff Spiller saw something and he listened to, he listened to the Lord and for some reason plugged different people in at different roles. And what it did for me was it stretched my faith beyond any measure you could imagine. Because when you've got 3,000 people looking at you saying, what is the plan? Why are we doing this? And you start out thinking, why are you asking me? It's a challenge. But that's the opportunities that I would refer to that continue to not build up. I'm still building my foundation. I don't know where things are going to go. But that broadened my foundation a little wider. Fragility of life. Brief stories. Did CPR on a child one time. He was blue as could be. He was as blue, I hate to say it, as your lovely dress. And the athletic director and I sat there, and we were already thinking about how we are going to tell the parents what happened. And we did CPR. And we did it until the end it showed up. And the child made it. And I cannot describe to you the satisfaction. The child graduated a couple months later. And then the child died the first month in college. And it, it kind of was like, why? And, and it really set me back a little bit. It made me begin to wonder why. Um, child hurts their neck. And I would have sworn on the football field. This is back when I was coaching. I would have sworn that the child's neck was broken. Couldn't feel his toes. Couldn't feel his hands. Could, could barely talk. And for some reason, it's strange. Somebody again said, Palmer, will you pray? Pray for him. And I said, sure. And we prayed. You can believe this or not. And we prayed. Ambulance came. Ambulance put him down. They did all the stuff they do to football players. Waited on the phone call. And the phone call was, he's fine. I don't know why he's fine. I don't know if it matters why he's fine. But he was fine by the time he got to the hospital. They didn't even keep him for overnight observation. They kept him out of football practice a couple of days. About five months later, no, that's not true. Um, probably about ten months later, child died of drinking too much in college. Um, and I'll leave the name nameless, but he's probably involved in one of the largest lawsuits in Auburn University fraternity history. I just couldn't understand that. Couldn't get it. Child doing CP, I mean, child choking one day in the dining hall. I swear this is true. Child choking. Again, bluer than your dress. You go up, you give them the Heimlich as you used to could do it, and it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't come up. It finally comes up. Child comes up, other stuff comes up, a little bit of blood comes up. More than any other time in my life, I think God used me to save that life right there. I don't know about these others, but just happened to be there. Parents show up the next day, livid. My son has broken ribs. Why can't you figure out how to do those maneuvers the right way? Why can't you blah, 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 blah. I just sat there and went, and at that point, I began to, to realize I am going to do what I think I need to do for the people in front of me. And I really don't give a rip 
about what anybody else thinks. And you know what? If, it ha- if I get in trouble, I'll get in trouble. We'll deal with it. But that is what is going on out there these days with so many of the teachers and why it's such a challenge. Not just not here at Advent, per se, everywhere. And then three deaths of three students in three years in a row, all alcohol-related. Drinking too much and this happening, drinking too much and this happening, drinking too much and this happening. If any of you read any of the material in the future that I send out to Advent, some people think I'm really hokey about some things. I tell people, hug your children. Tell them you love them. Hug them and tell them you love them. It makes their day and it's probably just going to make you feel good as well. And here's the reason that I tell them that. You go to a boy's funeral. And at Blake's funeral, his mom says, you know what? I am surprisingly at peace. This is horrible. Hope you all learn from it. But my son and I told each other we loved each other and we hugged each other. And it's ironic because we just made up from some fights we'd been having for three or four months. You never know what the next moment will bring. Particularly those that are close to you, make sure that you're always in a right place. God has helped me through so many things, help people and continue to build my foundation. 5 a.m., Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I used to be a running fanatic, and I'm going to try to get back into it. So I went for a run. I'm up there with a youth group, okay? Not a youth church group, a school group. And I come running back from my run. And there's a, there's, there's a child sitting on the creek. And here's my first response. One of my kids. Great. They snuck out. I'm already going to have to deal with this. Who else is out? Why aren't they in the rooms? I made it very clear. You don't leave your rooms until I come back. Take it a little closer. And if any of you know it, I'm about to reconnect. There's a gentleman named Lawton Johnson. Does anybody know Dr. Lawton Johnson here? He's a physician here in Birmingham. And I'm going to reconnect with him. Lawton had his Bible. He's reading his Bible. So I sat there and went, Lawton, what you doing? He said, I'm having my quiet time. And I said, what, what do you mean by your quiet time? He said, every morning. I just went to this camp. And at this camp, I learned I'm supposed to each morning have some quiet time. He just got back from a camp called J.H. Ranch. And... Um, I began to build a relationship with Lawton. I saw things in a high school kid that just rekindled a hope with all that other stuff going on that things are going well with our youth if we just give them what they need. And my wife and I committed that when our children got old enough, they were going to that camp. Fast forward. When our children got old enough, I went to father son, I went to father daughter, and I went to husband wife. And we went there for one purpose, or I did, can't speak for her. I wanted to make sure that they got it. That this place could reinforce the things that we taught them. And what I discovered at that place was I still needed to get it. I took them for one purpose and I went along. And I came back with a broader foundation because in that light, of having to be responsible to your spouse and to your children, of being a leader in a faith walk, I realized that relative to my family, and hence maybe everybody else involved, I wasn't where I needed to be. And that is another game changer for me was that experience. And that quote is something they use, and I think it's powerful. You only live life once, but if you live it the right way, once is enough. And my life became much more intentional, and I'll share what I mean by that in just a second. Then my father's death. My father died 
be four years ago. Actually, that's not true. It'll be five years ago this coming spring. Um, and, and he died of cancer. We went to a funeral. Country, St. Stephen's. If you know where St. Stephen's, Alabama, it's the first territorial capital of Alabama. It's in Washington County. And it's, I mean, you got to know how to get there, okay? And there's a church built in 1850 sitting up there. It holds about 20 people. And there were probably about 200, 300 people there. So if you could imagine that. And um, had a nice little service. Um, no air conditioning, hot as could be. And um, family spoke a little bit about dad. And this is what was amazing. Impromptu. People began, it's, I mean, it was a country funeral. I don't know if you've been to a country funeral. I haven't been to a country funeral. I want to go back to one. It was cool. Um, no time soon for my mom or anybody, but it was cool. A guy came up front and said, Mr. Tom, my dad was Tom Kennedy. Mr. Tom, Mr. Tom fired me. I'm like, my brothers and sisters sitting on the front row going, oh, my gosh. What is about to happen? And he said, Mr. Tom fired me. And I got to tell you something. Nobody could fire somebody than Mr. Tom. He made me feel so good, and he made me understand, and he taught me this, and he taught me that. And the next guy comes up and says, you know what? That happened to me too. And Mr. Tom found me a job. Well, you know what? And the next one, Mr. Tom, Mr. Tom hired me. And let me tell you, it was hard going in and tell Mr. Tom that I had another opportunity in front of me, and I had to leave. And then Mr. Tom shared with me, I knew that would happen, and that's why I hired you. I listened to people, and what I discovered was everything, not that I ever doubted my dad, but everything my dad ever told me was true. Because people could testify to it. And you flip that to your Heavenly Father, and it's not much different. Everything our Heavenly Father tells us is true. we just got to be able to sometimes hear it and feel it and see it. And if we listen, it's there. All right, how many of you have ever tried to assemble a gas grill? Come on, fess up. Big mistake. Okay. All right, all right, I, I'm really going to push it now. If you don't mind, raise your hand again. All right, I'm going to pick on Victor, okay? Now, Victor's probably getting a little worried, okay? Victor, did you use all the parts, or were there parts left over, or were there not enough parts? Okay. <laughs> I was... <coughs> I was sorry. sorry, I forgot a mic. I was sitting there yesterday or Friday with this grill that I just got, okay, looking at it and going. And by the way, actually, this is true, okay? I bought it assembled, and they assembled it wrong. The gas thing's on this side, the little angle thing's over there. The, I mean, it's wrong. But the same principle applies, okay? Just the people at Lowe's should have assembled it right, okay? Because I've assembled grills before, and here's what happens. you got all the parts, and you put them out. And I'm a man. I don't need to read the instructions. There's the picture, and here's what you do. You just put it together. What is so difficult? A couple of wheels, you got legs. What is so difficult? I, got, I mean, I've got, I've got degrees. I can do this, okay? And you get into it, and you realize, uh-huh. And then you realize, I forgot that. And then you don't want to go back and take the part away that you should. You don't want to disassemble it because you knew it right. You just start making it work. 
And you'll make it work, but every time you light it, deep down you're going, oh gosh. Okay, and, and, and you don't want, she'll catch you, but you don't want anybody to know you got all these pieces you haven't used. And, and money's important. They do not give you extra pieces. They're only going to give you what you got to have. Well, what is the difference in the way that we treat life? There's the Bible. There it is. There's very few things that we can experience or mess up that somebody in the Bible didn't mess it up first. And it's sitting there telling you, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. Not that it's a book of rules of do and don'ts. But you read it. And you live it. And it sure does make it easier versus, that's the instruction book. And I'm sitting there looking at a grill. And it, was, I mean, it wasn't like any big revelation. I don't know if anybody saw about grills and Bible, okay? But I mean, there it is. Because if you don't do it, you can make it through life. You can even have a relationship, I believe, with Christ without reading that and without getting depth. But you're missing it. There's going to be body parts all over the place. There's going to be, it's just going to be a mess. And then you're going to get toward the end and you're going to be trying to put it all back together instead of being able to live it together. And that's the importance, as I see it, of the grill and the Bible. I've been here at Advent for now three months, and there are opportunities abound. And Luke 12, 48, at least the way I, I always quote it, is those to much has been given, much is expected. There's other more poignant, sharper. I like that because that's, that's the softest I can come up with. This, this place has been given remarkable things, and we're going to need to do some remarkable things with it. We have, but status quo is never something that's acceptable. Um, and I believe as a teacher... Teachers are held to a higher standard. And um, I, I want to expect everybody's best, but the big question is, do you expect it or do you try to help them get there? And um, an example would be Christ. Did he expect it? Yeah, he desired it. He expected it, but he would help us get there. Um, share with you just briefly, as I shift into a little bit more about a, a professional, a vocation blending with a faith walk, is an unintended role of a Christian school, and every Christian school has a little different, different, different bent. And Advent has its own way of doing things. But what happens oftentimes is parents send their kids sometimes to Advent or to this school or that school because they're going to take care of the church thing. They're going to go to church and chapel each Wednesday and hear that good stuff where sometimes more and more families that are sending their children to schools that have a faith element, any faith element, from this spectrum to that spectrum, parents almost delegate that to the school and say, hallelujah. You know, it's not important that we get plugged in the church because my kids are getting that important stuff. I got it when I was younger, and now they're going to take care of it. And that's dangerous because as important as what we do here at school is, it does not take the place of that home church and that need for that family experience. And so in the school, in the school, we have to, we have a chaplain. And his job is not necessarily at all to mint little Episcopalians. His job is to meet the needs of students. And if they have a home church, help them grow. And if they don't, to offer up Advent Church to be that gap. Maybe be that home church. Maybe be that for them. 
Because I would venture to say that a significant amount of our students, their only time that they see God or experience Christ is here at the school. Um, back to this real quick. Today, um, a TBU is a true but useless statement. I do not like cell phones. I don't like them. Okay, I live by them. And if I didn't have one, I would be in serious trouble. But I don't like them. I don't like the fact that um, the kids are exposed to alcohol, pornography, everything else at so much an earlier age these days. I don't like any of that stuff. That is true. I don't like it. But it is absolutely useless. What are we going to do about it? And what, what I hope Advent and churches and the school does is help these kids with these decisions because a lot of these decisions that kids are having to make are getting pushed earlier and earlier and earlier in life. And yet sometimes, not necessarily this church, but churches in general keep their existing structure, the way they've done things for a long time. And what can happen is those kids can get lost in the gap. Because if they don't have that faith element when they have to make some of those critical decisions, because we just hadn't gotten around to as adult to help them get it, they're going to make poor choices. And so part of our job, as I see it, part of our responsibility is we got to keep the pace. Because society's out there running. And we've got to, and we, we, can, we can absolutely try to curb back things with society. But relative to our children, we've got to keep pace. That's our faculty that work each day. I said 43. It's actually 44. He's correct. We have an excellent faculty and staff. Um, we're in the top 9 to 8% scores in the country. It's a phenomenal program that the school has. The most difficult challenge is going to be this. And part of that may be some things we're talking about today. But the most difficult thing is redefining excellence because we're an excellent school. And if we're an excellent school... If you don't redefine what excellence is, you're not going to improve. And so we're going to spend significant time trying to help ourselves redefine what excellence is. Teaching and learning, I would contend that teaching takes place in hundreds of thousands of schools all over the world. There's not a school out there that teaching doesn't take place. The challenge is with each passing year, learning becomes more and more challenging. You can teach all day, but it doesn't imply that learning is taking place. And at Advent, learning is taking place, in large part because the whole child, including the spiritual element, but the whole child is important. Resources and time are committed to the whole child. And before I, um, before I close today, um, I'd love for us all to join in the school prayer, if you would, please. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, Watch over, we pray thee, the Advent Day School. Bless all who teach and all who learn, and grant that we may ever look unto thee, who art the fountain of wisdom. Lead us to the search for truth and beauty. Grant us the victories we beg and let thy love show forth in our lives. We ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Three minutes. Any questions? I've got 
outside and get ready, but thank you for all my work. Checking in. Thank you. I did not have the nerve to call you yesterday and say, <laughs> I can't make it, but um, thank you. And I, and I don't know if you took anything worth having, but thank you for the opportunity. No, no, we have five or six doctors currently in, in, in the group, so I'll help if you need it, and God bless you, my good friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I, I, I was just curious, what, what percentage of students are uh, parishioners here? I should know that number. Um, it is probably in the teens. It's probably in the teens. I should know that exact number, but I do not. Um, Episcopalians are um, in about 30%, roughly. So I'd imagine about a half of the Episcopalians that attend are probably parishioners. Um, we're actually gathering that data to be able to speak intelligently about it. Yes, ma'am. headmastership at St. Luke's affect, or do you, how do you think it will affect your job here at Advent? What St. Luke's did was teach me more about perspective than anything else. Um, at St. Luke's, um, I have, by the way, I'm, I'm still overweight. I've lost 30 pounds since I've arrived in Birmingham. Um, I cannot grow my hair back. You probably could. I'm just not willing to invest the money or time to do that. Um, <laughs> Um, what St. Luke's was, was an experience of, here's where you are. Here's where you got to get. And this is what we're doing. Get out of the way. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, and you're doing this. Well, no, 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 no. We got to get there, and there's one way to get there. Advent. We're here. How do we get better? St. Luke's was about creation. Um, we had a K-8 school that was an awesome K-8 school. They had talked for years about adding a high school. We purchased a high school, a new campus. We added a high school. We did not just add a high school. We created an entire K through 12 school. And um, in the worst economic times in recent history. Um, and God performed a miracle there. It was a God thing. Um, and when Una decided to retire, because I've been thinking she was going to retire for the last 10 years, okay, um, 10 years ago, um, Advent may not have hired me. Um, they may not have felt like I was ready for it, but um, I don't know. Time will tell if I'm ready for Advent, but I will tell you that no headmaster in America, I would never say, I'm better, by far, learned more and had more opportunity for growth than what we went through at St. Luke's. So there's a perspective there, and, and sometimes that perspective is when somebody comes to my office and says, already here, oh, my gosh, I'm like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> this is Okay. And it's not that you want to belittle what is, because what is a big deal in people's minds and hearts? It's a big deal. But there's a perspective. So what it brought me was perspective. Thank you, Palmer. Thank you all. Appreciate it.